Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, June 19th, and this is your FT News Briefing. I'm Mark Filipino, and we're going to do something a little different on the briefing today. Hannah Kushler is our U.S. pharma, biotech, and healthcare correspondent. You might have heard her on the show talking about coronavirus treatments recently. But she's also been reporting on America's opioid crisis, a crisis that's killed 750,000 Americans since it began back in 1999. In partnership with the PBS show Frontline, Hannah has reported on the now infamous pharmaceutical company Insys Therapeutics and the fentanyl-based drug they produced that was 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. As part of a documentary and magazine piece that are out today, Hannah and the team at Frontline have uncovered details of a scheme of bribing doctors to prescribe the drug, a scheme that made the makers of the drug the first pharma bosses sentenced to prison time for their role in the epidemic. We're telling the story of the opioid crisis, and especially, I feel, through documentary we made, we're able to show, you know, quite how devastating it has been to people's lives and to the country as a whole. It appears that the founder of Insys, John Kapoor, set out to create the fentanyl drug with good intentions. It was supposed to help cancer patients. Here's Hannah. They are interesting because they they come so late in this epidemic right so actually officially the opioid epidemic stretches back to the late 1990s and they don't get a drug on the market until 2012 and so i felt that even though they were the first where executives had gone to prison which we actually have you know some of these people were sentenced in january of this year we hadn't asked the broader questions which were about you know how did this company um, were able to do this right at the end of this epidemic when everyone knew that there'd been warning signs? And you did say that it came a little late to the game, but when it came, it, you know, it, it had quite an impact. Can you tell me a little bit about John Kapoor himself and the company Insys that he founded and, and how it grew over time? Yeah, so it's quite a small company. You know, this is obviously not a big farmer household name. It was based in Arizona and they developed this, I I say tiny, and it really is tiny. It's smaller than an asthma inhaler. And it's this spray of fentanyl that goes under the tongue. And the idea there was that if you were suffering from, you know, really extreme cancer pain, you were already taking a ton of opioids, you might then suddenly say need to move in your chair or go to the bathroom or something that would cause this burst of pain. And therefore you would take this. And the company went public in 2013. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, actually at IPO, literally the, you know, the offering it wasn't seen as that big a deal. But by the end of the year, it was the best performing IPO of 2013. The stock was up 400%. Sales had soared sevenfold and was getting a lot of attention. And we now know why it was getting that attention, because behind the scenes, they were using illegal tactics to increase those sales. Right. This is very much a character-driven story. Mr. Kapoor and the people he surrounds himself with are really crucial to the growth of Insys, what were some of the tactics and the people that Mr. Kapoor relied on in order for this drug to gain the prominence that it did? Yes. So the 
Executives have been convicted of basically masterminding a scheme where INSIS paid doctors so-called speaker fees in return for prescriptions. This is quite interesting because actually many pharmaceutical companies pay fees to doctors to educate others about their drug, but it's not meant to be a direct incentive. And Kapoor was very clear. In fact, the prosecutors described this spreadsheet where he tracks the return on investment in these fees as a smoking gun. So Kapoor was at the at the top of this organisation. But we managed to interview Alec Berlikoff, who was also very crucial. He was the vice president of sales, and he ended up cooperating with the prosecution. You know, he's quite a colourful character. Here's a clip of Alec Berlikoff. The instruction was, go out there, show that we can get a minimum return on investment of two to one, minimum, and do not lose his money or get fired. And the only way that I knew how to do it uh, to get that guarantee is to bribe doctors. And when Mr. Berlikoff said, do not lose his money, he's talking about Kapoor's money. Mr. Kapoor was Insys's sole investor and had $80 million on the line. So Mr. Berlikoff had his work cut out for him. It seems to me that, you know, he really was very enamored with the idea of working for a billionaire. And he went after this mission that he'd been given of increasing the sales with gusto. And as he said, you know, as if he was selling a widget, not as if he was selling a very dangerous drug. Yeah, you know, I think it, I think one of the most interesting things about Mr. Berlikoff and the people he wanted to surround himself with is that their their ability to separate themselves from the harm that this drug did. And in fact, you know, here's a clip of him talking about the type of qualities he looked for in a salesperson. I was not nearly as concerned as hiring a former Playboy model or a former exotic dancer as I was assessing whether or not they had what I call, unfortunately, a killer instinct. Almost no conscience. He actually hired a former exotic dancer as as one of the salespeople on his team. And as the doctors became more and more willing to prescribe this drug, over the course of time, it became clearer that this, this truly had an, an addictive effect on people. Yeah, I think one of the other really kind of shocking things about this story is what's called titration. So titration means basically upping the dose. Reps not only pressured doctors to increase the number of prescriptions, they also increased the doses because the higher the dose, the higher the cost of the drug and also the more commission that the rep would pocket. And so you have this situation where, you know, people are being pushed onto higher and higher doses on a really addictive drug and a drug that if you are not already opioid tolerant can cause overdose. Yeah. And this really serious thing that you're, you're talking about here, titration, you know, the, the folks over at Insys went as far to make a joke out of it, to make a music video about it. So just pivoting away from the actual drug maker for for a second and and talking about the market impact that Insys had, short sellers play a pretty interesting role throughout all this. Um, How did their motivations impact some of the skepticism of the company? Yes. So this is interesting. You know, Wall Street analysts were 
had buys on this stock, you know, well after it was known that there were investigations into the company, into doctors who were prescribing substances, and they often seemed to take management's word for it that, you know, it was some bad apples, some of the classic stuff we've seen in other situations. But short sellers also noticed it. And one in particular who I interviewed out in California, Jim Carruthers, talked to me about how he pieced together this picture. Someone had told us that there were only a small number of doctors that were um, approximately, you know, 50% of their entire revenue. Remember, this is a drug that specifically had a warning to be given to breakthrough cancer patients only. We discovered that the primary prescribers were pain med doctors. And then when you did any kind of background check on these pain med doctors, what you really found was, in our opinion, pill mills. So the short sellers played a role because they were in touch with journalists, they put out information, and of course, they made money off it, but they also were kind of key to the investigations. Along the line, federal authorities get wind of this, of what's going on with INSYS, uh, mostly through a whistleblower at first, but then they start to build a case. How do they go about their investigation? Actually, we need to take a step back and look at the fact that this was the first for executives to go to prison, right? This had been going on for a while. There had been opioid makers who had already been prosecuted for misbranding, mismarketing drugs, and they'd settled with large fines. But in this case, the prosecutors decided to use a statute which actually was originally designed to go after the mafia called racketeering conspiracy. And so what they do is kind of similar to, you know, your classic TV show. They sort of turn lower witnesses. So that's, you know, as I said, Berlikoff was one of the people that became someone who cooperated with the prosecutors. And that way, they managed to build a case which can go right to the top and show that people at the top were aware of what was going on. So I guess in your opinion, Hannah, um, what are the lasting effects that INSYS had on the American opioid epidemic? What will it, what will it be best remembered for? I think actually for us, sort of international audience, it's worth taking a step back even further and talking about the effect of the opioid epidemic on America full stop. This is an epidemic that, you know, has shaped the economy, shaped some communities massively and shaped the political landscape. And, you know, I spoke to some people for this piece who basically said, you know, who knows what would have happened in the election if some communities hadn't been like totally torn apart by the opioid epidemic. One thing I think that really surprised me out of this whole story, though, is that the system of speakers fees still exists. And in INSYS, they really crossed out of the grey area into a very clear return on investment strategy with these. But it seems strange to me that we allow drug makers to educate doctors full stop. Doctors obviously need ongoing education and to put them in this position where they're reliant on pharmaceutical companies and then maybe pharmaceutical companies are reliant on them to go and teach other doctors and they feel like they need to pay them just seems inappropriate to me and like something that probably would be a good lesson to learn from this. Frontline Documentary is available for streaming online at pbs.org beginning today, Friday, June 19th, and will premiere on PBS stations on Tuesday, June 23rd. 
This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik, and we had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. 